Hey everyone, welcome back to Neuralink or Neuropod, excuse me. And uh, for this episode, we have Brian on our show. And uh, Brian really enjoys sci fi related things um, and has some pretty interesting, good ideas about what Neuralink's going to do in the future and how they might progress their technology. Um, and just some like really good curiosity things uh, that. He and I were talking about earlier. Um, I think it's going to be really cool to hear those um, and share them with everybody here. So uh, welcome, Brian, and uh, thanks for coming on. It's good to be here. I love talking about uh, things like Neuralink and brain-to-computer interfacing. I've been thinking about stuff like this since I was a kid, so it's finally being a reality. So it's pretty exciting times that we're living in. Um, but uh, along with my excitement, I have a little bit of, um, I have a little bit of uh, possible concern uh, with certain uh, different issues. Uh, there's a lot of good potential, but there's also ethical considerations to um, to think about. And um, a lot of the things that I hear about, uh, both uh, from Elon Musk himself when he speaks about it but also on websites that speak about this sort of thing and other uh, programs. Uh, they talk about at some point, not the first generation uh, version of Neuralink, which would probably be focused on um, mobility issues and people with Parkinson's and uh, other, um, other, like ALS and stuff like that. But at some point, um, we're talking about uploading knowledge and information, you know, a new way of learning, maybe in the second or third gen of this. Um, and, um, you know, things like, uh, you know, math, science, um, high school stuff, uh, college, and, you know, more advanced things, probably even uh, to get a law degree or a doctor and so on and so forth. But one of the things that I haven't seen, and maybe others have, but I haven't seen so far um is the the expression of like looking for the quality and being concerned with the quality of knowledge that's uploaded and i think there has to be a certain um order in which people um learn about things like if someone were to be um working as a plumber or doing construction and they um, okay they have all the knowledge of of that but if they don't have a base of knowledge to begin with, like, um, like for example, with um, home construction, the word plumb, you know, means straight, but not everyone would know that. And they were like, oh, I need to make this plumb. What, is it, what does that mean? Oh, plumb means straight. You know, so they, they need to know um, a groundwork to base off of, you know, and they would have to have um, a skill set or knowledge of um, things like uh, geometry and trigonometry. And um, a glossary of terms and stuff like that. So that's something that I haven't really seen. And then also I hear a lot about, um, they, a lot of people make the uh, analogy of, uh, we'll have access to things like Google and we'll be able to, um, with our minds, access information, uh, look up things. Um, for example, one of the things I think you had uh, mentioned was like, um, how we would be able to uh, look at what would be the best insurance for someone that was 25 years old. Mm -hmm. Well, that 
the only problem with that would be that when it comes to Google, whoever has the most money would provide, uh, would show up in the search results first, you know, so you can't really trust that information. And a better way to, to ask that question, in my opinion, would be, first of all, to find out who are like the top 10 economics uh, professors um, uh, either in the world or in America, and what do they say about that topic? Um, and also try to find out if they have any conflicts of interest. And you know, you gotta kind of discard that. And it takes a long time. If you were to do this on your own, to, it would take hours, days, weeks to research that. But mm -hmm. some sort of, if they had some sort of artificial intelligent um, program that would be able to filter all this information out first before it got to you, it would have a better quality information to base it off of, and then you can make a better informed decision. So I think this could open up a whole new industry of different companies that would be able to provide you with um, the best comprehensive information, the quickest, and not just the fastest, but uh, quality of information as well. So that would probably be competition at some point in the future. Um, and you would be able to disseminate the information a lot quicker and perhaps even have an algorithm um, or an artificial intelligence uh, software that would help you make the best decision. Um, because just because you have the information doesn't necessarily mean you have the wisdom to make these decisions. And the way I, I like to uh, think of wisdom is wisdom is the competently applied knowledge acquired over time through experience. And although I suppose you could upload or download rather um, people's um, uh, experiences, and that could even be, an, people can even be paid for, I guess, to share their knowledge by having some sort of neural link themselves and, you know, do the trade that they're familiar with and then upload that information to someone. Um, and also confidence, confidence um, in uh, their related field that they're trying to do. We talked about earlier about, because I was, I was hanging out with some friends and we were talking about, you know, I was going to you know, talk to someone about uh, Neuralink on, um, on YouTube and they said, well, maybe they'll be able to transmit uh, emotions, you know, emotions of confidence. Like if you're a nervous person by nature and you want to get into a field like, for example, defusing a bomb, you would be really nervous about that. And someone that was seasoned would be able to have the confidence and be, the, be calm and zen and be able to do it. But you have to have balance. You can't have too much confidence because then you might end up dead, you know, so you, you got to find out the right balance and the right amount of confidence and emotion calming uh, in order to be uh, effective. Uh, now that would be at the practicality end, utilitarian purpose. Then there's also a whole bunch of people that would want this for confidence with girls or you know, for a woman who want to talk to a guy or whatever like that. You would be able to have like your own wingman or something like that. You want to be able to go to a bar or to a social club when we're allowed to do that again and be able to not only have the confidence to, to speak to someone that we're attracted to, but also 
be able to know whether or not that person is approachable because you don't want to end up a black eye because you're a little bit too confident. So I can imagine in the future we would have like these contact lens that would be able to, you know, zoom in on different things and be able to tell a wedding ring. And okay, that would automatically disqualify the person. Um, they would be able to tell that that person was interested in you by the uh, eye dilation and stuff like that. And um, whether or not that person came in with a boyfriend or maybe that person was uh, their husband or it could be their brother, but by the kinesics of being able to assess the situation, it will take some sort of artificial intelligence uh, to go along with that. So it would be like an industry that would provide that sort of service through Neuralink. So it has all this type of potential, good, bad, indifferent, there's ethics, there's moral considerations and all that sort of thing. So it's really exciting, but it's also uh, kind of scary. And if anyone has ever seen a Black Mirror episode, you know what I'm talking about. It could be, uh, there's all that potential of something kind of um, scary, but we shouldn't be polarized in fear over that though. Yeah, I think this is like such a, a good good idea, good, good thoughts about like different applications and how this is probably gonna move towards in the future. Um, so, I think uh, if you could continue talking a little bit about like what you were talking with me earlier uh, before we started recording about um, like the Black Mirror episode and like what Elon referenced in his last update event. Uh, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, well, first of all, I don't know if everyone is familiar with the show Black Mirror, but basically Black Mirror is a show, I think it's on Netflix, but I think it came out of, um, it comes out of England uh, initially. And it's basically Twilight Zone for the digital age. Um, anyway, um, one of the uh, updates of Neuralink by uh, Elon Musk a couple of months ago, uh, the one with the, you know, the pigs and stuff, uh, they had a, a Q&A session. And one of the uh, questions from Twitter was, would this be able to uh, record our, our thoughts or dreams and uh, things of that nature, I'm paraphrasing. And basically, um, Elon, answered well yeah at some point we would be able to do that and can in fact uh get a little uh black mirrorish you know and then later on he's like oh maybe i shouldn't use that uh analogy you know so um but he's he, he is right there is that black mirror potential um but i think it shouldn't polarize us with fear because like a, over 100 years ago when automobiles were coming out um people would have been like, well, couldn't you use a car to run someone over? So maybe we shouldn't do that. You know, we can't worry about that because it will get you from point A to point B uh, faster. So the benefits outweigh the risks, in my opinion, for not only cars, but a narrow link and things like that. We just need to do it properly. We need to find out what order we need to upload the information from, um, the quality, and also um, all the interactions that could that we're not even thinking of. Um, emotions, confidence, the balance. Um, I hear sometimes people are wondering about like security. Forget about cybersecurity. We don't want people hacking our brains. You know, um, either finding out information that you know we don't want them to, um, or maybe we able to remote control us so we commit murder or steal on behalf of someone, you know. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. The idea also is exciting about dreams, being able to record dreams and playing for people. Instead of just talking about this dream that you had, 
you can play it on a device, you know, or upload it onto Facebook or something like that. Um, and there could be an industry that's dedicated to designing your own dreams that are fun, exciting, or whatever. There could be a whole porn industry of wet dreams or something like that, wet dreams, Inc. or something. Um, but also nightmares. Imagine someone designing a nightmare and they send it to you without your permission and it gives you a heart attack and kills you. This could be used for oh, murder, yeah. you know, if you're not careful. So <laughs> it has all these potentials and probably not right away. The first couple of generations of this probably won't even come into play. Maybe about 10 or 15 years, maybe even 20 years after it becomes um, part of everyday uh, life. It would be like the first generation of smartphones couldn't do all this stuff and now they can, you know. We have to not wait for the technology to get that advanced before we consider all these different possibilities. And that's why as a kid and even now, I've always had an appreciation for science fiction because the science um, writers, science fiction writers would think of these questions well in advance before they came apropos, like um, Isaac Asimov with his uh, foundation series and um, the robots, iRobot and Arthur C. Clarke and um, uh, Star Trek, you know, all these shows and stuff. They dealt with these topics, you know, um, from a philosophical point of view and uh, ethical and moral and all that sort of thing. Like do artificial intelligence and robots, you know, should they have rights? And um, what is sentience, you know, what is self-awareness? So, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these issues need to be also defined and then what do we do with them? You know, the good, the bad, the everything, you know, all these things have to be considered and a lot of it is being considered, but some of these things I haven't heard of, like the, the quality of information when we're talking about uploading us um, to be on par, to making humanity on par with um, artificial intelligent machines. Yeah, we can't have them supersede us because that's when they can enslave us, take us over, all this sort of scariness. We need at least to level the playing field, but we got to do it in a way that is smart. You know, we got to do it with wisdom. And how do you upload wisdom too? You know, so all these different things have to not only be uh, talked about and discussed, but um, how can it be done? You know, and it can it even be done? You know, and um, we're also talking about like emotions of um, you know eliminating fear, having happiness. I heard Elon Musk talking about like you could um, have too much happiness or just produce uh, dopamines, but it would be too much. Or you got to have a balance with that as well, you know. So all these things I would love to see being, um, being discussed um, over the next couple of years, you know, um, through channels like yours. And I would like to have my channel up and running at some point and discussing these topics. And um, yeah, so I'm glad when I came across uh, your channel uh, that you were taking this seriously and trying to get other people interested in it, you know. So I wish you a lot of luck and success with that. Yeah, awesome, thank you, yeah. Um, well, so I think, uh, can we circle back to like what you were talking about with the quality of information being shared? So yeah. like how you were mentioning with the question, um, like what's the best health insurance for 25 year olds? 
it's like may, maybe now that's the desired question of whatever right. whoever the user is mm -hmm. whoever the the searcher is but really the the ultimate question should be like okay how are we verifying that the information that we're getting is accurate and who is it from and uh, do they have any biases and stuff like that so um can, can you just talk about like what are the ethics behind people paying to have some of their results shown first and how might we get around all these different concerns or what are your, well, what are your take what's your take well one way i think a search engine i think a new search engine would have to be developed where i think the source would have to be like um, a library, like the Library of Congress. There, there's millions of books there, and then you have different sections. And if that was organized better, um, like online for online access, I believe that would be a trustworthy source right there. But you would have to have some sort of artificial intelligence to be able to, you would tell the uh, artificial intelligence, all right, this is my criteria. This is what I want to find out about. Um, and I want you to make sure that the information isn't biased, that it's fact-checked, that, that there's a consensus, um, third-party peer-reviewed, that type of thing, and not just um, some random person that doesn't have any credentials saying this um, or whatever. And the Library of Congress should have a better um, selection uh, to build off of. You know, so you would have the artificial intelligence um, program designed with that in mind, you would type in or whatever, or I type in, you wouldn't have to type in with this. You would just think of it, you know, and however it would appear in your mind, you would checklist this and that, and you would send it off to do your bidding or whatever. And, and it would look, find out the information and then it would upload it. And after that point, before it gets uploaded to you, it already tested for uh, quality and um, uh, fact checked it to make sure there isn't um, the usual conflicts of interest or there would be, um, major dissent. You're not going to have scientists, for example, agree with everything, but the overall consensus should be the same. You know, uh, there's certain things that are just universally true. You know, so um, once this uh, program is able to make that determination uh, for you, then you have the good quality information it's uploaded to you, um, and uh, you just go from there. And maybe you will even have um, type of software that would help you make the decision based on the information that was gathered. You know, so um, because you might have all the information that, available that you could access, but you may not have the wisdom or the competence um, necessarily to make that information. So it would be helpful to have like, um, I don't know, like a artificial intelligent mentor or something, mm -hmm. you know, to be able to um, help you understand what all that means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Th so your point just made me think of something um, that I read in a book recently and I forget what the title was. I think it was talking about how like everything we know is wrong and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Elon mentions this sometimes too, where he says like, yeah, like the goal in life in everybody's life should basically just to be less wrong. And, um, one of the takeaways that I had from the book was uh, an example that she she talked about, which was right now um, and throughout some of history, there's been consensus on gravity, like just the idea and uh, 
the phenomenon of gravity. And she said, well, previously people had no idea about gravity, but that doesn't mean that it didn't previously exist. Right. Yeah. And then over time, there's become consensus with how gravity works. So it's not just like there's consensus that gravity exists, but now there's consensus on why gravity exists and how it functions. But what she was saying was, well, in the future, maybe a hundred years from now, maybe a thousand years from now, it might become, it might become known or at least theorized that our idea today of how gravity works is totally wrong and that could be aliens pushing us down with laser beams for all we know <laughs> right yeah so she was saying like yeah she was saying like right now we may think like um there's like a a force between two different masses causing gravity but maybe it's maybe it's different than that may, may, like you said maybe it's like aliens force you know or um or even somewhere in between that's a little bit less sci-fi-esque um where you know there there could be some force that we're not aware of that could be causing gravity to act in the way that we think it does but in reality it's like totally wrong and so i guess like the whole point of this me bringing this up was i was thinking if everybody has a neuralink and um we're trying to reach consensus then that's like an admirable goal but if we if we like reach, right right yeah and so like if we but if so like if we crowdsource information or in some way gather information and reach a consensus like it's it's a difficult challenge because we might be in a reinforcing loop that reinforces reinforces the wrong thing so yeah. it's like how do we break out of that it's really difficult and we all have our own confirmational biases, you know, when we, it's the 21st century, we have all this evidence and proof that the earth is round, yet there's people that don't believe <laughs> that, you know, so yeah. you're going to have a few people in there that um, think gravity is magic from elves or something. And then you have the regular people that, you know, they have their own, you know, gravitational waves or um, space time, you know, whatever, you know, um, and then, will have over time a, a better understanding but you almost have to take humans out of the equation with that because um humans just by nature have confirmational bias and it's hard to get out of that you know um certain uh, even science hardcore scientists have their own beliefs on something some uh, believe in like quantum string theory others you know in m theory multiverse and all this sort of thing and uh, they can't always agree on universal things, you know, so if we had artificial intelligence um, software or whatever, you know, that was able to take all the information that we have. I think when I was talking earlier about uploading the right information in the right order, we need to also do that with our artificial uh, machines or robots or whatever. We would have to, I would, I would recommend that they learn the basics, they learn about, you know, all the languages, um, mathematics from the simple to the more complex, history, at least what was, uh, what is pretty much universally accepted as history, uh, different versions, you know, for them to make up their own minds or whatever, religion, philosophy of, of the different worlds and cultures and stuff like that, to have a knowledge base of 
of humanity and uh, the thoughts and struggles that we had over the years and decades and centuries. And from that, be able to determine which information uh, to discard and which information is, is worthy to investigate and make a decision from there. And that would, I think, help us because at least artificial intelligence shouldn't have any biases. I mean, it, in the beginning, it probably won't even have emotions. That's something a human thing. You know, emotions are biochemical or whatever. Um, you know, computations are just ones and zeros and <laughs> or whatever. So um, in the beginning, at least, they wouldn't have any type of emotions that would influence them um, to have to form biases. And I think that would be trustworthy information, a source to, to build from. And we could finally come up with a consensus for everything from gravity to, um, you know, all the philosophical questions that we already had, like the meaning of life and stuff. I think that's probably going to take off. You heard of the singularity? Uh-huh. Yep. 2045. Yeah. Um, I think, um, I, I really do believe that with the help of these artificial intelligence, with the proper guidance, would be able to um, help develop the technology exponentially. So, you know, um, it's going to be a brave new world. Also, you know, a little scary, but I think a lot of that is really up to us right now on how we go about it and how we go about programming um, the uh, artificial uh, intelligent machines, especially when it becomes super intelligent. You know, we should have some sort of um, ethical structure I, you know, the Isaac Asimov uh, three laws, you know, that should definitely be programmed into it. Um, and, um, and things like that, they should understand where we're coming from, have compassion and not just come up with solutions that are uh, the most efficient, if that means harming us in any way. You know, they should find a better solution if it means, um, you know, killing us or, you know, getting rid of us or whatever. Um, because I hear that a lot. That's like the, the main fear, but I think a lot of that is we're projecting our own, you know, um, badness and, and uh, evil in some ways onto them, you know, and I don't think they would necessarily go that way, um, but we should at least safeguard it by teaching some sort of, for lack of a better word, some sort of morality or artificial intelligence to uh to follow um, as a guideline you know and um be friends with them from the very start you know um one of the books that i was uh, working on like uh i work on books and then I, I get back to them later on you know but one of the books i was working on is called the gods of our descendants that you know takes place in the far future you know where um uh, robots are having discussion about whether or not uh, humans exist, how do they get here? Mankind, you know, the word man um, is often, the word man is singular, but it can also be used in, in plural. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, we, we talk about where do we come from, God or the gods? God could be plural too, depending on how you, how you use it. And over time, you know, they could uh, be wondering that about us. You know, where do we come from? Well, we just evolved on our own type of thing. They, they might be wondering, uh, 
very similar things to what we're thinking about right now, you know, so um, and I don't want to get too philosophical or spiritual, but I mean, um, I think a lot of this information needs to not only be uh, presented and uh, assimilated by uh, these machines, but again, the proper order and the, uh, the right, um, you know, the, the quality is important too, because if too many machines are programmed in a certain way, for example, maybe some of them could be programmed to hate. If you have some agency that's run by white supremacists, you know, then they can have these, you know, machines, Terminator machines that, you know, get rid of people they think are unfit for the planet. You know, we can't, we, we need to have enough machines to counteract that potential threat at some point. You know, so uh, I think a lot of these things to be considered and would there be any safeguards against that? Anybody who programs anything, you know, we don't, what about their intentions? We can't control their intentions unless there was laws that maybe were curbing like certain programming wouldn't be allowed. There's no laws to my knowledge regarding what you can program a robot or artificial intelligence to do. Should there be laws about that? You know, I just hate the idea that bad intended people, um, terrorists might be able to indoctrinate a whole bunch of suicide bombing robots someday. I, you know, I don't know, but I mean, what do we do about that? You know, there's, there's so many, so many ways that this could be used for good and so many ways this could be used for evil and how to, uh, we won't be able to eliminate the threat, but how do we, you know, put limits on, on the potential threat? And I think that's something that should be um, thought of if it hasn't already, you know, I don't know. Right. I, I never heard of certain of these things talked about before, you know. Right. Yeah. I haven't either. And I, and I think like with the, with the threats, it's like, uh, like right now, you know, how, how much do the laws, um, really play in play an impact or have a role in decreasing the amount of crime that occurs you know yeah. it's like some people will say like oh they do a significant they they do a great job um and and the and others will say well anybody who was gonna break a rule they're gonna break the rule whether the rule was there or not you right know? so it's yeah. like with the potential rules or laws uh about like programming different things and programming different artificial intelligent machines to do certain things it's like maybe those people would do bad things regardless of whether there's a law or not right so we yeah. have to also play play you know think about all those those things oh well, yeah not just the laws but also what would be the punishment for those if, that break them oh true you yep know, yep you know that you know what would be a deterrence if if someone you know broke laws um that right now don't exist but you know future might be you know if they okay we break them would they would a fine be enough or will we have to imprison them depending on of course the severity mm -hmm. so all these different things have to be taken into consideration um and i'm wondering if like elon musk has some sort of because he has one of his program one of his uh many businesses is open uh ai and uh, does he have like some sort of think tank that discusses these things or um, or not? I mean, I, I really don't know that, you know, and I would like to find out and maybe 
know, volunteer, maybe I can say, hey, this is what I've been thinking of for what it's worth, you know, I'll send them a letter or email or something, because I think these things should be taken seriously. And, and I'm, I'm wondering, yeah, obviously they thought about many of the things, you know, but mm -hmm. they can't think of every, every possible thing. And not even I can think of that. I try to think outside the box, you know, but, right. you know, it takes a, like a, a lot of, you know, people like us that right now are, you know, just like grassroots, just, you know, right. Yeah. The strange um, shoestring budget, you know, so what, what power do we have, but we, we need to utilize what we have because I think we do have a voice. We just need to be able to organize it and, right. and get our thoughts uh, presented out there. You know, we have a lot of good ideas, it's just how do we, you know, market, how do we get in touch with the right people, you know, um, to make sure that these things are being um, talked about and discussed, you know, and that one of the first steps is getting not only awareness, but interest and getting people excited about the technology, you know, and, uh, exactly. you know, someone along the way, if it's not us, maybe it could be, we can plant a seed, you know, exactly. and then yep. someone else can pick it up from there, you know. Yep. Yeah, I think like as as more people become aware, like you said, just like increasing the awareness will will also um, proportionally increase the likelihood that somebody's going to come up with a a good idea or good thought that people who were developing this technology would have never seen otherwise. So, yeah, I think it's really important to just like have that increased awareness at all times and especially with what Neuralink's trying to build. Uh, I think Max Hodak, the president of Neuralink, had talked about this in one of the launch events. He was saying, like, one of the coolest things that Neuralink is doing is actually propelling this industry in, in its entirety forward because the knowledge that they'll that they'll get out of the technology that they're developing will help set up future developments pretty significantly. And also yeah by having these different launch events and having a good team working on cool technology, it will inspire the younger folks to come up with different ideas and become passionate about brain machine interfaces or Neuralink or anything related to curing brain disorders and stuff like that. And uh, that that's gonna produce a big tailwind in, in the future, which is like awesome for the industry and overall like better for human outcomes, I think. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, I wanted to, let's see, so I, I wrote down some notes. Um, so the singularity for those who are not aware um, is basically the time and point where we, like the theoretical time and point in the future where we may not be able to distinguish man from machine. Is that what your understanding is as well? Yeah, that, that's uh, you know part of it. There's something like uh, uh, Moore's law or something like that, where computer uh, programming power uh, doubles every two years. Or I don't, I don't think I'm getting it exactly yeah, right, but at some point, um, the technology is going to develop exponentially, mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know all this stuff comes into play. We would, yeah, not be able to distinguish um, you know man from machine at some point. Um, and all these different things like nanotechnology, um, biomechanical um, technology, life extension, all these different things um, would become more and more uh, possible. All the, the best parts of science fiction starts to really take off supposedly in 2045. Mm -hmm. um, and I would recommend people learn about 
um, like research, you know, Dr. Ke Ray, Ray Kurzweil. Dr. Michio Kaku. Michio Kaku, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he has a he had a show at one time on the Discovery uh, Show uh, channel called I think uh, Physics of the Impossible based on one of his books and a show called Twenty Fifty or something um, that was like um, it was sci-fi but it was based on um, a lot of his um, ideas and the ideas of other futurists like him you know gotcha. so it's very fascinating I haven't seen it lately though you know but mm -hmm. it was very fascinating stuff that he talked about. I see. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've I've heard a little bit about Michio Kaku and uh, and some of the other futurists. Like, there's one guy out of Google. His name is Ray Kurzweil, and he had also talked about how the singularity is inevitable and it's coming faster than we expect. And overall, like humans are are kind of like inherently programmed to think linearly, and in reality, so many things progress like on an exponential scale, like Moore's law for, for transistors and stuff. And um, so, yeah, I, I just, it, it, it's weird because in practice, I feel like in almost all scenarios with technology developing or anything developing, it's like, it feels decently slow, but in hindsight, it's like ridiculously fast. Yeah. Like if we look back and think about like all the things that weren't, in existence 20 years ago it's like wow that's crazy that all these things now exist and but then as they've happened over the past 20 years i've not felt like oh wow this is a huge huge development it's more like incremental and it feels it feels linear despite yeah. it you know on a grand scale being exponential so uh like with Neuralink, i have a feeling that things gonna you know like things will be the same but in hindsight, everything will be exponential. And it's like, how do we make sure that we're managing these expectations and ethics appropriately? Yeah, we would have to keep up with uh, the growth of the technology. And hopefully uh, a lot of these things are gonna be in place before that even happens. You would have to have something that grew along with it, you know, the knowledge of it um, as, and the, um, the preparations for it, the good and the bad and all that, you know. Um, there's a lot of exciting things like um, with Alzheimer's. My grandfather had Alzheimer's and my grandma later on. But um, where, at least in the beginning stages, this would help with that. You know, um, where if they forgot where they were or people who they were, it would remind them who that was. But at some point with Alzheimer's, the actual brain deteriorates. So they wouldn't even be able to think of, I think, the questions mm -hmm. that they would normally have to think of it. At some point, the brain shuts down so much that they forget to even swallow. So the machine would say, all right, you need to swallow now, but then it may not be able to know what swallow means. They, they might forget that. Right. So it, it goes, it might be only able to uh, help with Alzheimer's in the beginning stages. Mm -hmm. After a while, the neural link would be kind of useless. Unless somehow you had a, side-by-side um, uh, -side technology that will work with repairing the brain somehow. Um, maybe replacing some of the, the brain with um, some sort of cybernetic thing um, to bridge the gaps so the, the brain and the person like 
going to completely waste away. It would at least slow it down or make the, uh, the appropriate um, uh, repairs. It, it might even involve like nanotechnology or something like that. Um, but that's way down the road, you know. I don't, I don't know if it would be replaced with either artificial um, networking with like actual circuitry, or would it actually replace the, um, the the gray matter itself? You know, I don't know. You know, uh, that would be something that would have to be uh, found out as time went on. But at least in the beginning, it should definitely help with Alzheimer's, no doubt. You know, but I think at some point there's going to be limits. It's just it's sad. I think the problem needs to be solved at the roots. Like this kind of puts, I hate to say it puts a Band-Aid on a broken foot, but in, in a way, unless, unless you actually address the actual issue of and cause of Alzheimer's, you're just going to be able to maybe bridge the gap and slow down the effects of Alzheimer's, but it wouldn't really um, it doesn't seem like it would cure it unless it somehow repairs the brain, mm-hmm. you know, because there's literally holes in the brain that are formed over time, uh, to my understanding. You know? So, um, like when I was when I was a kid, like in the growing up in the '90s, the we had um, this thing called uh, current science, and it talked about um, nanotechnology, self-replicating robots and stuff that would replenish. Um, uh, dying cells with new cells and then if there was any cancerous cells it would zap those you know and uh, it would just keep like the aging cells it would just um, get rid of them or just rejuvenate them somehow and um, I was hoping that we would have that by now but hopefully we will in the next 20 or 30 years um, and I'm keeping up with the technologies of age um, reduction age reversal technology and life extension um, have you heard about the uh, NMN enzyme that they're uh, working with um, with mice? Uh, they're taking mice the equivalently the equivalent of sixty years old and then bringing them back to the equivalent of twenty, where their wow. limbs are better. They're they're not like experiencing the signs of uh, of like uh, old age and uh, arthritis and stuff like that. So if that could be if we can see human trials with that, that would be fantastic. You know, um, and that, that's all these different technologies from different companies working in concert together would be great. So you have Neuralink for one aspect of it and uh, whoever else at the other, you know, um, maybe even CRISPR, you know, would be something that would be you know, incorporated with this. So different partnerships, I guess, would be formed um, either together or independently. And I, I would like to see a lot of this, um, you know, take off my relative lifetime i'm 44 years old mm-hmm. you know 40 years from now you know it comes real quick you know before i know it i'll be sure. like 80 something you know and i'm hoping by then you know these things are resolved you know um so you know that's that's my hope you know um and i'm i feel uh cautiously optimistic about the future with things like Neuralink. And I think there's others out there. There's com- competitors, but this is Neuralink. Elon Musk's Neuralink is the forerunner, I think, right now. And there's also, I think, BrainGate. Remember, yeah, uh, Mitchell Kaku was talking about uh, that um, just a few years ago. I went to one of his um, mm. uh, seminars in Chicago that he had. Okay. Um, and um, 
you know, that was 2017. I think that was like right before, you know, Neuralink was taken off, I think. I'm not certain. <laughs> but um, that was like kind of brand new. And now since then, he has like working models and he has it in pigs right now and so on. So um, keep my fingers crossed with that and other technology. Human hibernation, you know, they were doing with mice not too long ago. Uh, like about 10 years ago by now, you know. Um, like freezing? No, not, not freezing. Uh, it was like a, a type of gas. I forget what it was, but it, um, it was safe. They would put the mouse, mice, <laughs> they would put the mice into a hibernated state. state and then um, after a few days, they would reintroduce um, oxygen and would revive them. You know, and they were having a lot of success with that. But I don't know if they had, um, if they progressed um, from that, I guess, after mice and rats, uh, I guess, pigs and monkeys or something. Um, at some point, human trials, you know, so um, there's a lot of potential with that, you know, but I just want to, I, I lost track of it over the years, you know, there's so much that, you know, that's going on to keep track of, you know, I forgot a lot of these other technologies I have to, you know, check in on from time to time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's see, I wrote down, I, I have like a bad short-term memory. So uh, I was writing down with like what you're talking about with Alzheimer's and um, you said it, it runs in your family, right? Yeah. Um, and from what I've gathered, it seems like uh, sometimes it's hereditary because uh, there's like some bodies are prone to having more of a protein develop. It's like a, a plaque uh, yeah. called beta amyloid. And, and so like, I think there are some, some folks that are working on like scrubbing that away, like scrubbing the plaque away. And, mm -hmm. and people will say like, Oh, well, when you sleep, like your brain naturally gets rid of it somehow. Uh, and so like it, that's why it's so critical to like be sleeping like consistently and, and yeah. the appropriate duration. Sleep very seriously, you know, make up when I have long hours, I try to make up plenty of sleep. I try to get no less than six, but I try to get at least eight. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so um, I was thinking like, okay, well, you know, there's all these different components when it comes to like Alzheimer's and, and other brain disorders as well. And so uh, you're saying like, well, with Neuralink, maybe they might be able to help with the first stage but then, you know, once, once the Alzheimer's progresses, then will they be able to make a dent in, in that? And it's like, well, in order to do that, would they have to get into the hardware business, you know, where they're developing these other hardware components that are assisting their, uh, like different limbs or different areas inside the brain that, uh, would not be helped by a neural link. And right. then, could they get into different devices to help first scrub away the beta amyloid plaques and then put the Neuralink, you know? So there are, I think there are different ways to, to get around these issues, but it, at the heart of it is like what you're saying, like these companies, it'd, it'd be good if they collaborate and, you know, share their knowledge and just like further the industry as a whole, because th there's, there's going to be breakthroughs for any of these companies. And it's like, well, if that one breakthrough can help propel this next company forward and cause their breakthrough to propel the next company, that would be so sweet. 
Yeah. And then, so the the next thing that you're talking about, oh, was like aging and longevity. Um, And what was the the thing called? It was MNM? Yeah, it was um, NMN. It's an enzyme. Okay. Okay, I'll take a look at it um, after this. Uh, there, there's another thing that I saw about aging and it was like, um, it had to do with tele- telomeres. Have you heard of those? No, no, I haven't. Um, okay. It's, uh, let's see, I just Googled it and it says a compound structure at the end of a car- chromosome. But um, I forget exactly where I saw it, but it was talking about how like, if you modify these telomeres or you extend them or, or something, do something with them, then they really promote longevity and, and better aging. So it's like all of these things, including like CRISPR, like you were saying, and like genetics, like all of these things play such a critical role in, in how long people will live. And so I'm optimistic that like Neuralink will help propel that too. You know, it's oh, like, absolutely. it'll be so, yeah. yeah. It'd be so cool like once they continue their work and help these other companies basically yeah i mean um that and also um and i forgot to mention earlier um different um psychological disorders like p ptsd oh yeah you know i would imagine like at some point when it gets advanced enough where we're talking about um literally not only recording dreams but uploading them as well mm-hmm. um you might have like um like a a trained psychiatrist that would be able to enter someone's dreams that they're having like reoccurring nightmares mm-hmm. and be able to um first of all analyze the dream data you know uh in imagery and maybe even in, uh, inject themselves into the person's dream to kind of calm them down you know um and um uh, other ways like um Uh, and also like people in a coma, you know, you might be able to tap, if they had the neural link, you might be able to um, tap into their mind and be able to perhaps get them out of it somehow, you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't, I don't know how, but I would imagine that would come into play at some point too, you know, yeah. um, they say that people in a coma have, uh, have dreams. I don't, I don't know how true that is or what, at what stage, of their coma towards the end or throughout the whole time, you know, what's going on with their brain activity, you know, and at least the neural link would be able to, um, you know, record the data and be able to, at least with the computer, be able to show some sort of information um, right. or something and uh, hopefully be able to um, get them out of that coma or some, some side effect. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm just a layperson. I'm not smart enough to know that if that's even possible, but it's just something that I thought of, you know, I always think about different things, you know, that it could be um, potentially used for, you know, sometimes I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm right. But then I find out later that I am I'm like, yes, I'm yeah. just a layperson. I figured it out that it, that <laughs> it is possible, you know, so it, right, yeah. it's uplifting. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, I feel the same way. It's like, you know, it, I think I think even the people who who feel like they know, they don't, you know, they may not truly know. And so, uh, I think I think a lot of people feel that that same thing. And it's like, uh, 
we can just like continue to bring up these ideas and and hopefully you know plant the seeds in in these different minds to think of even greater things and like ptsd uh, yeah even even just like the quote-unquote like most basic things and you know like like anxiety or or depression it feels like especially like with anxiety um i guess my personal take is that is that like some some people have very very legitimate like severe anxiety like attacks basically and then it's like a spectrum like almost everybody else it's like almost everybody feels anxiety but then now it's become like people will say like oh i have anxiety and and it's like it's like you have a disease but it's like i i don't know that that's that's an accurate way to frame it It well i mean everyone has anxiety just at different levels like you're saying it's like a spectrum and um some people just don't understand that because they don't have that anxiety or if they do it's really you know um turned down real low Mm -hmm. um but to be able to incorporate like someone else's um uh calmness to to upload emotion positive emotions um to to calm someone down if they're anxious about something you know um whatever that happens to be be it at one end an expression of defusing a bomb or doing a hostage negotiation thing um piling in a plane that was about to go down or something like that and and just having the confidence to do it right without, you know, um, you know, messing up or, you know, social interactions, either on a date or just regular social interactions, like for a job or for a presentation, you know, to upload uh, someone else's uh, confidence can mm-hmm. have even be done. I mean, that goes beyond like emotions. Confidence is more like, I don't know. Is that even really an emotion or is that just the turning down of anxiety? Mm-hmm. What really is confidence? I mean, is that really something that's tangible? You know, um, and if so, um, whatever the causes, whatever that's going on in the brain that causes someone to be uh, more uh, confident could probably be transmitted to someone that doesn't have that. And then they could be, you know, um, confident as well. But the, again, it's all about balance. You know, you don't want too much confidence right. because then you're reckless. Right. You know, so you got to, you know, have just the right amount of, of confidence, the right amount of anxiety, the right amount of emotions uh, to be able to be, uh, to be as productive as one can be, you know, the, the highest potential. Is that, is that something that you, like you personally would, would want like if you if you ever felt anxious for example would you want uh to have increased confidence like not internally developed well i mean like sent by someone else that does you mean or yes yeah uh, there's certain things that i'm not confident about uh that i think it would be great to be able to um somehow through a cert like a paying service where I, you know where i would pay for uh like the service or having uh the competent levels that would be needed like there would be different tiered levels of competence uh for the type of thing that i would want to do 
you know, and if I had some sort of membership thing where I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll, uh, however it's structured in the future, you know, uh, or maybe you can buy <laughs> and then upload it when you need to or transmit it however it's done i think that would be something we would all need especially for me personally um yeah you know like i i'm in, like i'm interested in so many different things we talked earlier about comedy and stuff mm -hmm. um i would love to do stand-up i'm really too nervous to do that now if i was able to uh, have something that turned off that nervousness or that anxiety and then I just said my jokes that I want to do, you know, and, and did them and, you know, performance and stuff like that. You know, uh, I think that would be great potentially, you know, if I bomb, I bomb, if I don't, I don't, but then the emotion of a bombing wouldn't affect me and impact me as much, you know, mm -hmm. so maybe I would end up doing really well and, uh, could take off in that re regard. Um, you know, as a career or something on the side or whatever. So that would help in that for that, you know, uh, certain confidence, there's different types of confidences too, you know, uh, the confidence to speak in front of a large group of people, be it to give a presentation um, in a boardroom meeting or to tell jokes at a comedy club or to talk to a girl or to defuse a bomb. It's not the same confidence. There's right. different levels and different types of it, you know? Right. Um, and the anxiety uh, comes from like different sources and um, uh, some of it we do need to just stay alive. Like, like I said, we'd end up being uh, reckless or we'd be too confident and end up being um, hit, you know, by someone, you know, um, you know, that didn't appreciate it. You know, so, um, yeah, it would be great to have, but I just want to make sure that um, it's it's from a trusted source and that it's done properly. I mean, I don't want to be the first one to get something like this. <laughs> I, I want to see how it is with other people and then, you know, take the best one, you know, from that, you know. So, yeah, this opens a, a lot of doors to a lot of different industries and, um, and services. Um, we have streaming services right now for, like, Netflix. Mm -hmm. There'll be something like mental flicks or something or stream <laughs> stream or something like that. Oh, you know, that's a good uh, one. Thought processing, you know, um, yeah. what's your node code would be the new, what's your email yeah. probably node code. Yeah, I mean, code, yeah. or something, I don't know, but I mean, I mean, all these different things just opens up uh, not only industries, but there's a lot of job potential there too, you know? Um, web designers will design, you know, dreams, um, or experiences oh, yeah. for the theater, you know, um, sort of going out to the theater, you could experience it, right? you know, interactively too, you know, so I think that would be, um, there's, there's so many ways, both practical utilitarian is, you know, like what we're talking about with Alzheimer's and with ALS and with Parkinson's, Parkinson's runs in the family too. At the other end of the spectrum, the, uh, the entertainment value of it too, you know, um, and intellectual value and all these, it's just a, it's a wonderful thing that opens the doors for so many possibilities, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's one of my favorite things that Elon Musk is, is doing right now. And then like, of course I care about the environment and Tesla and stuff like that and going to Mars, but realistically, I'm probably not gonna ever go to Mars.
Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I'll ever be able to afford it. I think it's only going to be the rich in my lifetime, unless my lifetime is expanded through mm -hmm. other technologies. And I live to be 200, 300 at that point. Sure. You know, but in a, in today's concept of a lifespan or, or my, mm -hmm. you know, um, whatever my life expectancy happens to be, you know, um, I don't think realistically I would be able to see Mars unless it was through some sort of surrogate, you know, like you've mm. seen the movie surrogates with Bruce. No, Bruce. I haven't. I haven't. Um, yeah. And it's the idea that, um, we would have these perfect robots version of us. Mm -hmm. Um, and we would be able to remotely control it with our minds mm -hmm. and experiencing uh, all these different things like going to the nightclubs and, uh, having sexual adventures and then, um, doing all these different things, enjoying life that we can't enjoy either because we're, we have limited mobility or um, physically disabled or just don't have the, uh, um, the wherewithal to do all these different things. And they were the surrogate robots, highly advanced, you know, textile, everything. They looked like us, they looked, but they were perfect versions of, of humans. And they were able to be, um, all these experiences were all done from the privacy of these people's homes. So if you had a surrogate um, bot or something that went up into space, uh, where it would be safe, you know, it you would have these experiences through that, like vicariously through the hookup, mm -hmm. you know, um, and Neuralink would make something like that possible. It's just that we'd have to have um, a robotic body that was, was so advanced that you couldn't really tell it apart from an actual person, you know, um, except for the superhuman qualities would probably be a dead giveaway. <laughs> but I mean, if you had the experience, like the textile, the smell, the, the feeling of cold or heat and um, all these different sensations and sight and sound and all that, I think that would be like the only way I would want to experience space because space is so dangerous. You go mm. into space, you, you can kill you. The radiation, you know, um, the, uh, the climate, I mean, you can turn, even though you could feel the sensation of, of weather, who really wants to feel negative 80 degrees, you can probably turn that part off. So it's just temperature for you. You know, you can have all the benefits of Mars without any of the uh, drawbacks. Right, you know? right. Then I might be able to see in my lifetime, but um, actually going there in person, not the way lifetime is right now. You know, mm -hmm. uh, even Elon Musk doesn't really have that confidence. You know, it would just be right. the uh, select few uh, that are able to do that, um, you know, like uh, the scientists or something. And later on, you know, as time goes on, you know, the city on Mars in 2050, like I have a million people, but a million people out of seven billion, you know. Yeah. And then by that time, maybe eight billion. Maybe Ten billion. billion. Yeah. Or more. Yeah, I think uh, it, it, and there's like different levels too, right? Like if you could have a, you know, like a, basically a duplicate of yourself. Yeah. Uh, or you could have a duplicate of your brain elsewhere. Yeah, if I had a duplicate of myself, I would want them to be in better shape. You know, <laughs> I'm a heavy guy, you know, but yeah, basically uh, either uh, a duplicate of myself uh, that was better than me, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, or put my consciousness um, right. into um, like a machine 
right. or like a robot or surrogate type of thing. That would be great. But then is it a copy of my consciousness or my consciousness? Like is my consciousness, is, it, is our consciousness a tangible thing? Is it like some sort of energy cloud that could be absorbed by the, by the chip and then put into something else? Or is it just random firing of neurons? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think anyone knows that yet. You know, uploading a consciousness might be just a copy. Um, and, and in the beginning, it would be fine. If, if we're still alive and we make a, a copy of our consciousness that goes uh, online and it can explore uh, cyberspace and become knowledgeable and have a lot of fun and experience and, um, in the different environments or like the holodeck or whatever. And then all that information and that experience then gets uh, downloaded back into us. And then we have the memory of the copies memory or for lack of a better word would be um, in us. It would be as if we were actually there, but our physically physical bodies obviously can't enter cyberspace, just our consciousness could. And then the information, and the recording of that experience would then be downloaded back to us, you know, so then it would, it would be the constant uploading and downloading, but then it's the copy of us, or is that really our consciousness? Would we be able to be a consciousness both at the same time of our cyber adventures and our physical day-to-day -day lives? Or would we be in a state of like, almost like a sleep or a coma? And then when we come out of it, all that experience then is, brought back to us or would we be able to be like by location consciousness mm -hmm. how would that even work you know so uh i would love to find out it would be great if consciousness was a tangible thing lack of a better word a soul mm -hmm. so that there's literally an afterlife you know that could be if, if one doesn't exist one could be created like in a digital um, world. I mean, that was talked about in um, either a Black Mirror episode, and I think it was also on one of the revivals of the X-Files. They were talking about that. Um, and they had um, different people. Um, did you ever follow the show X-Files? And they had the, the group called The Smoking Gun. Um, and they were this band of nerds that were... Um, anyway, they, they had died, and then they, their consciousness was in this computer simulated world and Steve Jobs was there and all that. And one of their, one of their gripes was everything was too perfect that mm -hmm. the sports teams always won whatever team that they wanted. Mm -hmm. um, it was just, it wasn't fun anymore because you could predict the outcome. And when you mm -hmm. have a predictable outcome where it's always going to be favorable, then it becomes boring, mm -hmm. you know? So, mm -hmm. um, it, but if we were able to come up with some sort of, continuation of our consciousness. It wouldn't have to be a digital paradise, for lack of a better word, wouldn't have to be perfect. Because right. perfect would get boring. Right. It would just have to not be horrible. Like here, the right. suffering level is just disproportionate to the pleasure experience. So if we would, we can't have anything too pleasurable. We can't have everything, have everything just at the other end of the spectrum of depression and, um, and anxiety and pain and suffering. We got to have a little bit of a balance that's much better than the balance we have here, um, but still not to the other end of the spectrum because then it's like, why, why am I experiencing this digital hell? Why am I experiencing this 
boredom of just everything is going my way, then, you know, that's a curse too, you know? So over time, I think these things could be um, something to look forward to as well in maybe not 10 or 20 years, maybe, maybe 30 or 40 or 50 years, maybe hundred, however long this takes. It's hard to even predict that would be. Yeah. Because the singularity, seriously. everything goes up exponentially. So it might be sooner than we think, but um, it may not be. I don't know. We just have to wait and see. But just knowing that these things seem possible, mm-hmm. it just gives hope during these dark times when we have coronavirus and we have uncertainty in the world of, you know, um, how the election is going to be, you know, not to get it all political, but I mean, it's going to be disappointing. At least half of the people are going to be disappointed. The other, mm-hmm. you know, what are the outcomes of that? The anxiety that it causes. It's nice to have different things to look forward to. For uh, sure. Elon Musk and the technology. It just, oh man, I just want to forget about all that other crap and just focus on the the good stuff, the good potential stuff. You know, that are right. uh, around the pike. You know, so. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I completely, completely feel it. Um, the uh so what you're talking about with like uh having you know having a consciousness elsewhere or or having a duplicate body elsewhere um i guess like i was thinking it it would not be at the same time that you're getting information from both your physical self and your cyber self instead yeah, it's so confusing and how do you keep track of it yeah right right exactly so i i kind of thought of it as like right now when people multitask, you know, it's like at, at the base level, they're not, they're not truly doing two things at once. They're That's just like, true, because you really you can only do one thing at a time. And yep. one thing is going to um, be less quality. So right. yeah, you can't do two things at once. Right. Yep. And so like with multitask, like, you know, despite, and people will do it at different levels, some, some really well and some really poorly, but um, at the heart of it, like people, when they're multitasking, they're actually just switching, you know, back and forth extremely quickly. Yeah. And, and so I, I was thinking like the same thing would probably apply with the physical self and cyber self or, or duplicate, you know, duplicate consciousness of yourself because you could just be in one location and switch to the other one and you could be consistently switching back or you could just like, I don't know, like sacrifice and basically like, all right, for this next 20 minutes, I'm going to be my cyber self and then like fully enjoy that environment and then come back to your physical self and like now be in your new environment. Yeah. So do you think that that's like a realistic? uh, I think that is realistic and it could also, of course, you know, not to be a downer, but it could also be, the potential of having a, an addiction that could be a way that mm-hmm. where someone didn't get addicted to that type of um the pleasure sensor you know mm-hmm. um did you ever follow the the show star trek next generation i have not i'm not okay. I, I don't know if you um, noticed i'm not a big tv guy <laughs> okay but i mean yeah that, that was really inspiring me as as a kid i would watch the shows that, that dealt with um a lot of the concepts then that were so far away it was almost ridiculous to even talk about. But one one of the concepts that they had on that show um, was the holodeck, where it was a simulated uh, reality in full three-dimensional, it was like solid. Instead of having like three-dimensional imagery, it was actual, almost physical matter in photonic form that was indistinguishable 
uh, from their real life. But it was like, you can program the parameters where if you um, had like coworkers in your life uh, that you were kind of nervous and how interacting with, or maybe they didn't really like you for whatever reason, and you were socially awkward, you could um, create um, holodeck versions of them where they um, interacted with you in a way that would be ideal, that you would mm. prefer. Mm-hmm. And this one character who was kind of socially um, awkward, um, he um, developed um, this whole program within the holodeck where he experienced the, um, the idealistic outcome that he uh, would want, where he had confidence and he was interacting with his peers in a way that um, wasn't like belittling to him or anything like that. And then the real world was like a letdown because he, he didn't have that confidence because he knew the real world was different. So he always wanted to live in the, in the holodeck and he had developed holodeck addiction mm-hmm. um, and he got counseling for that. So um, in a way that would be um, like a different version of that. It. It's not the holodeck, but it's still like a cyber experience that would probably be a lot better than our real life experience or things aren't going our way, but in the cyber uh, world or whatever, it would be it would be fun and a lot more entertaining. And the mere fact that we have video game addictions mm-hmm. right now and sex addiction and gambling and all this sort of thing, this would incorporate all those into one type of medium potentially. And at least it would be, excuse me, not as destructive because substance abuse is really dangerous. So, you know, you, it can kill you. But if you're just experiencing these fun activities in cyberspace, it might take away from your your, your time either with your friends and family and you might uh, deteriorate in health and I eat and so like So it would be deteriorating in that way. So we did, you'd have to do it in a way that um, you would at least be mindful of the potential for it to become addicting mm-hmm. and have safeguards against it where... Um, it would just be no more detrimental than if you were watching YouTube videos or something like that. You, you, usually people, it doesn't really control people's lives. They do a little right. bit of it and then they go to work and it, it doesn't ruin yep. them. I mean, some people it might, who knows, but it doesn't seem to be a problem so far as I know. But, um, you know, um, in one way, if it, if it replaced the substance abuse issues and people were addicted to that instead, and one way that would be better because if people are, have an addictive gene, they're going to be addicted to anything. Hmm. It'd be better to be addicted to something that's not going to ruin their lives or kill them hmm. or gambling where your money, you know, you can lose your house. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, but it, you would still have to make sure that, um, you know, that your cyber uh, experiences uh, and adventures, um, although fun or even educational, um, wouldn't become a, a problem that would be detrimental to you in any way, like your health or how you interact with um, with your peers and with your family and stuff like that. You know, as long as you know you, your work wasn't interrupted and your life wasn't interrupted in some way. And if it was, then you know, there hopefully would be some sort of help to make sure. You know, again, like it always comes back to balance. Right. Uh, Seriously. Perfect balance or near perfect as possible. Um, yeah. So I'm. 
I would love to have something like that because just because there's that potential of of uh, overdoing it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. We should just make sure that uh, we're very careful about uh, doing mm -hmm. it available to us. Yeah, yeah. The the balance point is like so so on 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 point. I think like but that so th this was like the heart of my uh, pre previous question when I was talking about like would it be something that you want where you can purchase confidence you know and and subscribe to confidence and stuff like that because then it's like do you you know you at some point you might get addicted to it or it might feel it might feel phony it might feel like not real versus if you had put in the work to like develop the confidence on your own then it's like very rewarding once you do have it well yeah there's a couple ways i see it going one is where you have the confidence while you're engaging with the technology. And then another way is, I think over time, it would program our brain to be more confident so mm. we won't even need it. Mm -hmm. It would be like having training wheels. Like fake it till you make it. Yeah, fake it until you make it, exactly. Um, but uh, it would take someone that's much smarter than me to, to be able to give a good answer about that. That's just my opinion. I mean, someone that was a psychiatrist and uh, well, neurosurgeon or something would probably be better equipped to answer that. But that would be a good question if I was able to ask um, a neurosurgeon or next time there was like a panel where uh, Elon Musk is doing another presentation or in advance I could ask or, you know, you could ask for other people to ask the, these questions like um, that you just had mentioned, you know, in a way that, of course, um, you know, kind of makes them, you would have to frame the question in a way it was framed. Um, the, the concept has to be established, well, would we be able to upload things like confidence? And if so, um, mm -hmm. would we only have confidence when we uh, were uh, interfacing with that device or would it program our, our mind to then do that on, on, on its own? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think in addition to that though, Speaking of confidence, it would be nice to have the confidence to ask certain questions that I'm too like timid to even ask mm. because they sound like I would be afraid that I would sound like stupid to even ask them or kind of crazy or flaky or whatever, you know. Um, so I would I would love to, you know, be able to ask a question in a way, I guess, where I the um, the embarrassment factor would be taken away. I mean, that could be done like anonymously, you know, obviously, mm -hmm, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I don't necessarily need some sort of competence to be imported to ask these <laughs> questions, you know, but I mean, I, I have so many questions and some of them, they're almost embarrassing to even to mention because it, it might be, it might either sound so crazy uh, or um, showing that, oh, you lack intelligence in that field. That, that, Everyone knows that can't be done, you know. So, oh, but I think if that barrier could be overcome, maybe it's not as crazy or um, as stupid as, you know, we might think. And if someone were to be able to have the confidence to ask certain questions that they're afraid of to someone mm -hmm. like Elon Musk or his panel, mm -hmm. I think that would be something that maybe would be amnitation because maybe they didn't think of that. Right, right. Um, and, and one of the things, and, I, and I'll just say it, I, you know, whatever reaction I get from the, you, whoever in the comments section, oh, that guy is crazy. <laughs> but what about the idea, like, 
if someone with this technology, Neuralink, uh -huh. um, not necessarily the first version of it, maybe some version, version seven, 10 or whatever down the road, were to die, would this somehow bring them back to life or would this be able to reanimate them in some way? Or would we be giving electricity or uh, a jolt to dead tissue and you just couldn't do anything with it? Or would there be a time window where they just died, this could be used to um, activate the brain and then we could bring back someone that we normally wouldn't be able to resuscitate because we can charge people's, like the heart with the defibrillator and that's mm -hmm. kind of limited. But what about something that's already in the brain, the core part of the matter? Would we be able to reboot them somehow, you know? Right, right, right. Um, or take the, the chip out and put it in a clone and that, that is aged or whatever. And then, you know, you, ha you lose the original, but you, you have like uh, almost like an exact duplicate, you know? So right. a way that would, you would frame that question in a way that it didn't sound cuckoo or not sort of flaky or anything. I think actually it's something that I'm interested in knowing. I'm sure, at least I would presume that other people were wondering this too, but some questions, yeah. they're kind of embarrassing to ask. How do, you, how do you ask that in a way that doesn't sound, you know, a little loopy, you know? Um, <laughs> I like to think the way I framed it, it sounded yeah. at least not crazy or stupid, but <laughs> I don't know. You know? No, I think, it, I think it's, a, it's a good question. And... Uh... You know, like I'm now. I'm curious about it too, because I, th I d like I have no idea what the answer is, and I guess my take is like with asking Elon questions. I I just feel like he thinks he he probably thinks like every single person is so ridiculously stupid anyway. So it's like no matter who's asking what question, no matter what level of stupidity it is to Elon, it's like all right, well that was another stupid question. <laughs> At, at least he's not, I feel he wouldn't be a jerk about it. You know, yeah, he seems to be right, really exactly. laid back and he, he sounds a little uh, nervous himself and when, when talking. Right. Um, and I would feel more confident asking him rather than someone, you know, someone else. And I, they might be like, oh, they may not be rude about it, but you can tell by their facial expressions that was dumb. Or they sure. would chuckle, sure. like, wow. Uh, no, you know, something like that. But I mean, Elon, I think would uh, at least have uh, the right kind of decorum to be able to answer in a way that wasn't uh, demeaning. Exactly. Um, exactly. So, um, I, I would so, like the opportunity to bring it up sometime in one of those Q and A things where I can hide behind a computer. And ask yeah. him he he's so ridiculous. Like, I think he is like incredibly humble. Because even even when he makes, you know, I, there are some times where he'll be like, well, everything that I've said I would do, I've done. It might have been late, but I've still done it. And like, you know, I think that's true. And at the same time, despite any amount of uh, like bragging that he does, it, it, even though it's very small, like, I think he is remarkably humble. It's like the things he's he doing. He downplays a lot of things too. Yeah. Like instead of like hyping something, he like anti-hypes it and ends up being better than what he was just talking about. So right. that's, that's, that's refreshing to see because someone, a lot of people would either exaggerate something and then you find out later it's not as good as what you think. Mm -hmm. And he almost does the opposite or at least gives you a more realistic um, expectation, you know, and that's really nice to have someone like Elon 
that is a forerunner of all these different technologies to shape um, civilization on this planet than some guy that's kind of cocky and 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 bold and and uh, you know you really can't trust them because they're a little bit they sound like a con man or you know what I'm saying you know yeah. and he, he seemed really like you said humble and uh, down to earth right ironically you know yeah um, and yeah. Um, like an everyday person you know he doesn't make you feel like a dumb dumb um when talking to him i've noticed like in, in the different um zoom chats that i've seen on youtube mm -hmm. um he, he talks to you and to uh, the different people on the panel um like equals you know he doesn't talk down to people and i like that you know some some smart people um, that I like to hang out with smart people, but especially if they don't make me feel like an idiot, if I um, am not as smart as them, because I could admit, okay, I'm not as smart as everyone. You know, I'm not stupid either, but, you know, um, I like at least speaking to someone that's either at my level or higher, mm -hmm. as long as they don't talk down to me. And I have good friends that are like super geniuses that I could talk to and they don't uh, patronize, they don't like, um, they're not condescending to me in any way. Mm -hmm. And that's really good, you know, and um, and Elon Musk is far from kind of uh, being con condescending, you know. At least that's how he is in, in public, how he is maybe in private, who knows. You know, there might be like two different Elons, you know. Ever notice sometimes he has like facial hair, has like a mustache and goatee, that's like evil Elon, and then the other one is like clean shaven. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, no, I mean, I'm glad someone like him with his personality dynamic is um, the forerunner of all these different things because it makes me feel his seemingly self-consciousness gives me confidence, if that makes right. any sense. You know what I mean? Yep. I don't yep. feel like he's, um, you know, nefarious in any way. You know, he's just really, he seems like a good, decent, humble guy and uh, trustworthy. I feel like I can, I can trust what he says. You know, if anything, like I said, he's going to downplay something to hype it up. Yep, exactly. I I completely agree. Yeah. I uh, so like going. Let's go back to your question about um. Like, would it be possible to you know like basically, what like recoup somebody who who's passed away, and I think. I don't know. I mean, it's like literally speculation, but. It seems like with other things, like you were saying, with the heart, like you can, I, I don't know the the exact science behind it, though. It's like, are those are those cells dead? You know, because like with the brain, it's like if certain cells and neurons are dead, then maybe they cannot be, you can't bring them back. But if they just, they're alive, but they're not accessible, then you can access them. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, yeah, at least you could access some part of them. But if there is, and I have to get too metaphysical or spiritual, if there is a soul or a consciousness and it does leave the body like permanently at some point, mm -hmm. what you revive might be just their memories and something that just act that just exists and it just completely um, acts in a way that is um, um, more more primal, you know, like mm -hmm. based on instinct, like the the soul. Um, or consciousness or whatever, if it does leave the body and goes elsewhere, you know, uh, what's left might be just the shell of that person. And they may not be, they may not have like um, 
the loving tenderness and nature it would just be someone that has memories and and might need still to eat and drink to, to to keep on like living again or something like that but it wouldn't be them it would just be uh almost like a machine that has just their their memories of experiences with you but doesn't care about you anymore doesn't love you doesn't hate you just just almost like a robot without emotions you know to really want that you know um i'd rather have the person back than just you know just the body that you're able to interact with you know but um i think you know you make a good point like the cells that they die then you wouldn't probably be able to revive if we just started putting electricity in dead meat or something you just wouldn't be able to do anything with it. you might be able to get it to move but it, you wouldn't be able to get it conscious again um i think that would probably end up be what it ends up happening unless it's incorporated with other technologies right like nanotechnology that is able to uh, replenish dying cells like if it if the cells start to die and you still have a couple more but then you just make more of them because it just reproduces oh, yeah. them so then you know you would uh, activate the brain again to be functioning and then the nanobots then start working on overtime to replenish the, the cells and repair the body that, you know, the, the tissues and, and the neurons and um, whatever, the bone structure, whatever it needs to be, uh, and the organs to get the person, uh, you know, alive and it could be, you know, internal repairs going on. And it could be like a constant, um, constant repairs, constant maintenance that we can't do right now. You know, we'll be able to do the maintenance up to a certain point, but I think this would allow even more maintenance and um, a much longer longevity where 100 would be the equivalent of 70 at some mm -hmm. point, and then 150 would be like the equivalent of 100. And then people's lifespans would just keep on being uh, extended, you know, like indefinitely. And, and some naysayers are saying, well, there's no biological evidence of any examples out there of anything that lives forever or indefinitely? Well, that's not true. Jellyfish. Is an oh, example. I've heard about this. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, I don't know if it's crayfish or lobsters, but they don't die unless you kill them. Really? They, would, they don't get diseases or they don't die of old age. You know, they, uh, I don't even think they get, I don't know if they get diseases or not, but I heard somewhere that, that a lobster can at least, again, obviously, unless it's, they're not invincible. Uh, could live like 500 plus years or something like that. And jellyfish, they keep uh, regenerating like to earlier versions of itself. You know, if we could kind of do something similar, um, well, not become babies or anything, but I mean like earlier version of ourselves within a limited scope, uh, we would be able to, you know, live indefinitely. Well, we wouldn't be invincible. And if we sure. could find a way, you know, invincibility is different from immortality or, right. or living, you know, indefinitely you know because how do you measure forever mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kind of arbitrary you know but you know but living indefinitely and replenishing ourselves and having better versions of ourselves that we can either upload to or just keep the body but make it better and just change parts out as as it becomes needed over time and you don't even notice the difference these these differences would be so gradual that you know, if you look back at the beginning to where you are, maybe a couple hundred years, you're a totally different looking person. Mm -hmm. But you don't notice the changes because they're they're so subtle over time. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and I think that's how it'll end up being at some point. 
you know, and then if we have to relocate to another planet for some reason or uh, another solar system, eons from now, you know, it's continuously um, expanding our, our life somehow. Um, but there, there's a, I think there is a limit with the cells and stuff like that, how, how, how long you could do that. I just don't know where the limit is, but I was talking to a friend of mine um, and he said, I think the limit, I guess, might be like 9,000 years where you, oh, wow. you could actually do that. But at some point, at 10,000 or 12,000, 20,000, you know, you wouldn't be able to, to maintain that. And at some point, it would just deteriorate. Mm -hmm. um, and even, I don't know, I, I don't know if you meant the mind or the consciousness, but at least the body, you know, even with the replenishing of cells, the limit isn't, you would live in the same body for a million years, it would be like maybe 10,000 years, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, again, don't quote me on that. That was my understanding of what he was saying. I, I'd have to talk to him again. His name is Herbert. You know, he's in the uh, in the neighborhood. Um, I haven't seen him for since the pandemic. Actually. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, yeah, he was. We had a good conversation about that, and um, I would like to talk to him again and um, have some certain terms and definitions uh, that are defined. Uh, to make sure that I'm, you know, not misrepresenting, you know, what he was saying. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was definitely, you know, limits biologically anyway that he was saying. Uh, but still, 9,000, 10,000 years, it might as well be forever, you know. That's, yeah. that's a crazy a long time. In, initially, I was thinking maybe two or 300 years or something like that. Right. Um, sub 1,000 anyway. But I did hear from reliable sources um, that the first person to live to 1,000 years has already been born. Have you heard that? I don't know who said that, but I've heard that being mentioned multiple times. Mm. You know, I don't know how true that is, but, you know. Yeah, I thought, um, I feel like I've heard something similar. I don't recall if the number was 1,000, but, uh, yeah, I feel, I feel like, you know, 150 is, is doable at least at least in context well, that's that the way. that's the number that's thrown out mostly by mainstream um that well again we should definitely be at least extended to 50 and that's great that's better than nothing but you know um but they, they were saying at some point well we, we over time we would just keep on extending it and extending it and extending it and extending it. so like by the person at someone that's um going to be 150 let's say um, you or I, when we were about 150, by the time technology is in, uh, when we're old enough to be 150, mm -hmm. maybe they'll be able to extend it another 50 years, right. and then another right, 100 right. years. Yeah. And then before you know it, a thousand years has gone by from when we were right. born. Um, so um, I'm not saying it's very realistic that we'll be able to say that. Someone may be born uh, that's alive today that's literally a baby mm -hmm. has a chance, you know, yeah, maybe. Uh, but someone that's, uh, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, probably not. You know, I, I think before we get to that point, um, there, there's a lot of things that need to be changed. But the only thing that really gives us hope is the singularity. If that ends up being really true in 2045, that's not that far from now. Not that that would be solved, but it would begin at that point where it becomes unpredictable how fast technology could expand especially if you have um you have general artificial intelligence and super artificial intelligence mm. at some point i think it would take off and that they work with us in trying to help extend longevity in the lifespan 
of humans and that actually is something that's a goal. That is something I think they could do working with us to make that happen, you know. Whereas if it, if it was just humans the way they rely upon to make it happen, I, I really wouldn't put much stock in that. Um, right. Now, I, I'm, I was wondering if you're aware of this one Russian guy that was working on um, life extension, like uploading us to different series of robots. I forget his name, um, but he had different um, timelines for the type of uh, robots that we would be able to upload our consciousness to. Um, and at some point, I don't know when, but we would not even need um, a robot, an actual physical um, Android, but um, like a holographic person, our consciousness could be put onto some sort of holographic representation of us or something. Um, I don't know the correct terminology, but it was really fascinating. And this guy was a Russian billionaire um, like I think in his 30s or something like that. This was like a few years ago. Um, I don't remember his name though, but I mean, if you did a Google search, um, I think you know you'd be able to find it uh, real quick. Um, but that would be something else to to talk about too. It's a little bit off topic, but it's somewhat apropos to this. You know, it's germane to the topic. I think. Yeah. Um. Well, okay. Uh, do you, Do you mind? How about we? Uh, we postpone and uh, do that one in, in part two. Yeah, and, uh, sure, absolutely, yeah, because that's, yeah. I, 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 yeah, and like don't wanna open up another can of worms. I mean, no. I think um, that there's a, a bunch of different things that I wrote down that are um, like building off of the things that you've said. And uh, I would love to address them at some point and just like, especially like there's a couple of things here that I wanna get your thoughts on. And like one is like, um, like Palantir, have you, have you heard of what Palantir is doing? Um, give me a little more information. Zane does it out familiar, but if you tell okay. me a little more, I might be able to okay. might talk my memory. Yeah, they're, they're a company that's developing software. Um, primarily used to be like mainly for like defense contracts, working with the government. Um, okay. But now, and they used to be based out of Palo Alto and Silicon Valley, but now they're moving to Denver. Uh, they've been in business 17 years, just went public. And uh, the guy who was the initial CEO of PayPal, his name is Peter Thiel. He worked with Elon and a bunch of other yeah. guys working on PayPal. And then he was the one that co-founded Palantir with a couple other people. And okay. so, so anyway, now- I'm familiar with it, but it's, it's ringing a bell a little bit more now. Okay. Uh, so now they're, they're working on like, um, well, I guess like one of the longer term ambitions and well, so the the initial like thesis that, that kind of caused them to develop Palantir in the first place was that humans in general um, don't necessarily do better than machines in all different applications. And machines don't necessarily do better than humans in all applications. Instead, right, yeah, it's are, a trade-off. It depends on you know, what it is you're talking exactly. about. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And then... Um, in in other instances or in in most instances uh humans do the best when machines are doing some things and humans are making the final decision right. so now what palantir is doing is they're developing software to help make sure that humans are equipped with as much uh like a, a good well-sorted data 
that's pertinent to what they're looking for. And then humans are the ones that are actually making the final decision. And there's many different applications in so many different industries. Uh, but I'd love to, to hear what your thoughts are with like that whole ideology and then transitioning to Neuralink. Uh, and if maybe we can tease that for the next episode. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, off the bat, I, I would say regarding um, humans making the final decision, you know, I've heard a lot about that uh, talked about over the years, you know, again, in, you know, in sci-fi novels and, you know, TV shows like Star Trek, um, where they promoted the idea that humans ultimately um, would be needed in the equation of making the decisions because we would have certain experiences that uh, computers can't just program. They would, they would just have the information and knowledge to bare bone facts, but right. a human, it would take to uh, certain nuances of how to apply those, um, that information um, when needed. So we would have to use a, a certain mixture of both you know, right. the information processing uh, of a computer, but ultimately based on that information, um, we would have, um, again, better wisdom to apply. You know, um, there's something to say about wisdom. And I think wisdom is mostly, um, mostly organic and it's through our experiences. Um, and if we had the, the proper balance of, of both applied, we would um we would do better and it ultimately should be up to us to make the decisions because we have emotions and we have our best interests at heart you know where a, a computer might not make the same decisions because they don't have any emotional connection to us humans they it might be the best decision in one way but not in another you know um and it it all goes down to like like if you saw 2001 a space odyssey you know with how the um, the superhuman computer was making decisions that were maybe good for the mission but bad for the human it was killing them it was killing the astronauts mm. um you know in the in the story and in the movie you know and um people usually make that analogy when talking about like the human equation and humans being needed to make the final decision so, um, you know, I kind of uh, concur with that. I think that's definitely not something that should be canceled out. I mean, yes, computers can process things, uh, you know, faster, but it's the nuances that they wouldn't be able to, um, to pick up on where we could. And they might be stronger than us, you know, physically, but the decision and the rationale yeah, I really believe that at at this point in time anyway, until the unforeseeable future, it should be humans that ultimately make the decision, mm -hmm. especially for things so important um, that it deals with our lives and our um, uh, our well-being, you know. Um, right. But we should definitely have a good balance of the information gathered by computers that we can't do and then leave the rest up to us. You know, whatever balance it happens to be, you know, um, other people much smarter than me will be able to make that determination. But definitely, I think humans should always be the, the last decision maker 
but based off of the information that they gather on our behalf. Right. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I feel the same. And uh, I guess like Peter Thiel and, and those guys who started Palantir must like certainly feel the same. So, uh, but anyway, there, there's a couple more things that I, I'm sure we, you know, we, we should discuss uh, more in the next episode. Sure. And so uh, let's wrap this one up and uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for talking about all this cool stuff. And uh, yeah, I just think uh, it'll be cool once you, you have your uh, show up and running with, with your buddy. Oh, absolutely. And I'll have you on my show then too, you know? Yeah. So yeah, thanks for having me. It was, uh, it was great uh, talking to you about this sort of thing. It was something I've always wanted to do that I never had an outlet until now to do. And then my friend I was telling you about, you know, uh, Brian Lindsay, I could, you know, show him this when you, when you do upload it, you know, I'm like, see, look, you know, uh, this is something that we could do. This is something we were already talking about and did for years without any camera being on. And now uh, we should do this now. So I think you would give him that, that courage that he, he needs to be able to do something like this on our own. Well, all the different stuff that we could be talking about. This is like one small little yeah. uh, thing, you know, there's so much out there uh, to cover, you know, that, um, you know, when we come back, as far as your you know, show is concerned, and talking about all that other stuff could be discussed later, but this is a good framework because it just, it's like it branches out to different things, yeah. you know, other topics branch out to the others, you know, but this is like the main core of it that the others are based off of. So that would be great to come back another time and talk and touch base on those other um, somewhat related uh, topics. Awesome. Okay. Um, yeah. Thank you very, very much, Brian. I sure. Appreciate it. See you Have next time. See ya. Take care.